Good morning. This is Dr. Badia for another bi-weekly episode of Fixing Healthcare from the Trenches. And I have a guest today who is definitely in the trenches, a fellow private practitioner, an orthopedic surgeon, also uh, a hand weenie like me, a hand, a hand surgeon as well, trained. Uh, Dr. Michael Redler is coming to us from Connecticut. He's uh, a founder of the uh, Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center there, uh, a, a quite large group. And he trained... Um, he went to med school at UConn, so he's definitely a Connecticut guy, a Husky, and he trained, did his ortho at the University of Virginia. Uh, he also, we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, and then he uh, has been quite proactive in the whole movement towards outpatient surgery, which is one of the discussions for today. So, uh, Dr. Redler, thank you for joining us. Alejandro, it's great to be here. And, you know, Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center merged with Connecticut Orthopedics back in uh, 2018. It's now the largest private practice group uh, in the state of the Connecticut. And, and, and based on that, obviously, as a large group, uh, we are dealing with a lot of issues in terms of ASCs and what we need to do to fix the healthcare system to make it work the best. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been a proponent of that. I mean, your recent comments in a Becker's article uh, kind of spurred me on to reach out to you, although we've we've been in communication. I mean, certainly, as you know, there is a as a cardiologist here in Miami once said, there's the 10 percent of us, the 10 percent who are just more proactive in terms of uh, either, you know, being engaged in business and now trying to fix our, our system, whereas the 90 percent are doing really what they should be doing. Right. Taking care of patients. But that is not enough nowadays. So we need people like yourself. And, um, and I look forward to seeing you at that Becker's meeting on ASCs. I think you will be there in late October, yes? I will be there in late October, and we've got some great discussions going on, not only about how to improve the uh, pain or comfort control in ASCs and getting insurance on board and that, but also talking a little bit about medical mission work, uh, One World Surgery specifically, and our medical missions to Honduras and soon to the Dominican Republic. It's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've seen my post yet. Um, so I, I finally about it's actually the day that uh, sad day that uh, that we dropped a bomb on uh, Hiroshima on August 6th um, is a date that Medicare gave me that they, you know, allowed me to opt out. And I opted out after 28 years of practice because out of principle, I felt it was insulting that we get uh, cuts when when healthcare costs are going up and yet the people actually deliver the care, we're getting cuts of two to 3% a year in an inflationary environment. And I, I felt I needed to make a statement. I'd rather, I saw a patient for free the other day. I would rather see them for, I hope this doesn't go viral. <laughs> I'll, I'll go under, but no, I, I'd rather see some patients who really need it for free than that because we do free work and people, um, you know, the public will be lashing out at, at this announcement. And I welcome that because I want to tell them that people like you and myself do free work. We do it in the U.S. for sure, and we definitely go abroad and help people. I, you know, I don't know many professions that do that, honestly. Well, I think that you know it's what we're supposed to be doing, and if we've had the luxury of the great training that we've been able to get and taking care of so many people and have a reasonable lifestyle, part of what we're supposed to be doing is taking care of people regardless of 
their socioeconomic class. And certainly that's no more true in third world countries where doing one surgery in a third world country can help an entire family, an entire village, an entire community. And it truly is a matter of paying it forward. I know you've done such a great job of that as well. Well, I, I think many of us do. And I think the public is losing sight of that. You know, unfortunately, the, the, the popular media has not really been on our side. I, I don't know if that's partly the AMA's fault, but um, we are, uh, you know, being scapegoated here with what's going on in healthcare. And, and what I think people need to realize is that we're we're all in this together. Uh, and we, we already know the players that are not suffering in all of this. So the question is, where will the buck stop? Yeah, I, I think that what we know is that when people look at the healthcare system and the very high cost of healthcare, the sort of poster person for that is the physician. And yet, if you look, and we all know that where the healthcare dollar goes, the portion of the healthcare dollar that actually goes to the physician is the smallest amount. And uh, this is part of what we're going to talk a little bit about today. But frankly, that large percentage of the healthcare that goes to the middleman, to the insurer, to, to all kinds of markups, uh, to uh, CEOs of, of uh, insurance companies, is by far and away a much greater percentage of what the physician gets. So if the physician is getting cut, because they assume that's gonna decrease the cost of healthcare, that's the wrong place to do it. You're, you're cutting the people that are actually delivering the care. Right, well, a, a recent study showed that it would uh, would only decrease costs by five to 8%, but then uh, in other areas it would go up and you'd have more trouble with access. I mean, look, that's why I made this statement. Uh, you know, I, 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 I want people to understand, look, I, I've been taking care of Medicare patients and, and I've been out of the network for a decade. So that's uh, and, and that's a personal decision. Uh, I'm lucky living in Miami because a lot of my practice is international, but that's not a possibility for people who are not in, you know, large, uh, you know, international type cities. And uh, that's not right. So. What, what, what you're doing is fantastic and it's making a statement and it's obviously allowing you to take great care of patients. Uh, unfortunately, as you said, in a lot of parts of the country, uh, you, you can't actually have that option of doing so, uh, and economics will dictate that. And unfortunately, what you're having to do is to uh, maintain a certain uh, level of practice, see more patients, short amount of time. The patient's the one that ends up getting uh, the short end of it yes. when there are these cuts and uh, the physician is up against it. Right. And you, you end up seeing you know, people need to realize that it's that you've got still bills to pay and people keep losing sight of that. Right. I mean, our overhead is astronomical and I applaud you for merging with Connecticut Orthopedics. I'm I'm a dinosaur. I was with a five man hand surgery group that I co-founded called Miami Hand Center. And unfortunately, the group, as many groups do, divided and and three out of the five are still solo, including me. And that is not a wise business decision. So I do not recommend that to anybody. Uh, but. Um, there, there are reasons for it, and it's the expenses that the public doesn't realize. I mean, um, you, you walk into a medical office, right? There's a ton of equipment. There's a ton of staff. There's people. I'm solo. I have two people with salary and benefits who um, handle, uh, you know, uh, payment, reimbursement, and I'm out of network. So that's pretty amazing that I still need two people to do that. Yeah, it, it is amazing, and I think that the message to the public that's thinking about uh, their healthcare is you can actually do a very specific calculation. How much does it cost you 
as the physician to see a patient. Well, what does that mean? Well, you've got your salary staff, as you said, you've got your rent, you've got your equipment, you've got your malpractice, you have someone to put in clean claims or whatever has to be done to the insurance. All that is the cost. So you can actually calculate when a patient walks into your office and is ready to be seen for a problem, how much is going to cost you to be able to take care of their problem. And unfortunately, you're going to get to that point in time when that equation is going to not work, whereby it's almost going to cost you as much to see that patient as you're getting reimbursed. That's why people are dropping out of programs. That's why some physicians are having to seek other types of employment or other types of ventures because it becomes a uh, equation that no longer works. And, and people are, are gravitating towards providing care of things that are not covered by insurance. And we, we could, you know, dedicate a whole, at some point I'll have a guest on uh, for talking about, you know, regenerative medicine. I mean, that's why there's this explosion in this. Yes. Uh, you know, PRP and injection of growth factors and the public mis you know, mystique on stem cells. But the reality is that insurance doesn't cover it. And when insurance doesn't cover it, people are going to gravitate towards that because they can charge what they think is a fair price. Uh, the amazing thing is a lot of patients pay it. So it's kind of surprising they do that. And yet they'll complain about a, a co-payment on something that is, you know, completely scientifically proven, peer-reviewed studies and you you get pushback from patients. So I think it's I think the public it's high time that they get engaged with us Michael um and 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 help us uh, with change the tide here. And and frankly what you're doing Alejandro and this vehicle is going to take us a long way towards getting there. Well, I hope so. I uh so I wanted to speaking of getting there um before I ask you so you can know this around I'm going to ask you very difficult question. <laughs> I ask it every every you know, two weeks of my guests, what would be top three, right? Because, you know, you could go on and on, but top three initiatives. Before, though, I do that, I, I'm looking, I you guys are also pioneers in something that I'm very interested in, which is easier access for orthopedic injuries and even pain. So you guys have, I think, seven uh, orthopedic urgent care centers. That, that's correct. Yeah. Um, we have seven orthopedic urgent care centers. And what we know is that, and as you know it just as well, injuries don't happen just nine to five, Monday to Friday. And we know that if you want to talk about cost of healthcare dollars, if you go with an orthopedic injury to a, to a uh, regular walk-in, you know, they may be well, but it'll take care of your strep throat. They may be able to, uh, you know, give you some antibiotics or infection, but their chances of actually having appropriate uh, treatment for a musculoskeletal injury is very low. Right. You can go to that same problem, go to emergency department, and even if the insurance decides to cover it because they think it's urgent enough, uh, again, you're getting very generalized care, which is not actually getting you from point A to point B. And so the ability to have orthopedic specific walk-in centers that work in evenings, that work on weekends, is of great advantage and of, of uh, great value to the patient, where you can actually go in without an appointment, with an acute injury, and actually get more definitive care. And by doing so, not only are you getting better care for the patient, but you're saving healthcare dollars because you haven't had all those temporizing measures that haven't actually got to you to the end point of your goal of relieving or curing this problem. Absolutely. And that, that is a very hard uh, a message to get to the public. I'm, I'm getting an award here in my community on Friday. And I think that's the one thing I'm going to say, and, and it's very hard 
uh, patients don't, it, it, you, they have to hear it over and over again. So, so I applaud you on what you're doing. And, and as you know, my, my ortho now model, I'm looking for the right strategic partner to really bring this national. So I, I think you and I'll be discussing this in the future. We'll so, talk. We'll talk. For sure. <laughs> uh, so, all right, give it to me. Top three, top three ideas to save money. Top three areas to save money. Number one, you and I as physicians seeing patients know our patients. We've examined our patients. We know the problems. We know what we need to do to get them better. And yet the reality is, uh, much as we talk about the cost of taking care of patients, more and more there's a knee-jerk response to reject the treatment we requested, or you've got to do a peer-to-peer, -peer, you've got to get on the phone with someone, and you need to talk about it. Well, we know our patients, we know our needs. And if the peer review system has gotten to the point where it is prolonging care, it's costing more money, uh, it, there should be a lot of things that if you've had a track record where you've not done care that's just, you know, beyond the bell-shaped curve, you should not need that peer review. If you do need that peer review, it's got to be done in a timely fashion. It's got to be done with a physician that is in the same specialty that you are, so they actually understand it. And I actually had a wonderful conversation with a woman yesterday uh, was simply for a knee arthroscopy that I'm going to be doing on Monday. But she was an orthopedic surgeon. She understood the clinical information. She could talk the jargon. So it was actually a pleasant conversation. And we even had a few laughs about it. But it really is. the right. archaic system that we have now doesn't work with peer-to-peer. -peer. All right, number two. Number two. We need to do these higher acuity cases in ambulatory surgical centers. We need to be able to do them because it's a higher quality, lower cost alternative. However, the model as it stands with insurance now is you get one flat fee when you do a rotator cuff at an ambulatory surgical center. You do that same case at a hospital. They're able to itemize. They can charge for this. They can charge for that. And as such, you get to the point whereby you could do it in a high quality, low cost of facility with a very low infection rate, but we can't do those cases because you can't itemize and be paid for the state-of-the-art implants and such that we'll then just turn around and do for a more expensive number in the hospital. Yeah, a great point. I mean, okay, number three. Number three, our ability to do these high acuity cases in the ambulatory surgical center is in part based on one really important concept, and that's patient comfort. And patient comfort is going to be supreme. Can you do a knee replacement? Can you do a shoulder replacement? Can you do a complex revision rotator cuff repair or an ACL reconstruction in the ambulatory surgical center? You can do it if we can make the patient comfortable. Well, there are things available right now. There are long-acting local anesthetics that can be done as both blocks and for uh, regional and, and local injection that can be done. A lot of insurance companies don't want to pay for them. But if they don't pay for them, we're either doing it at the hospital, they're staying longer in the PACU, they're having problems with nausea, constipation, and readmission to the hospital, and those all increase the cost of medicine. There are new things on the horizon for long term. Uh, there's a company called Gate Science that's coming out with what's called Relay, where you're looking for a 30-day level playing field with comfort for that patient. When I talk to a patient in the, in the surgical center, I want to talk about what is your level of comfort? And we're going to minimize discomfort. If we can do that, we can do these higher acuity cases there, lower infection rate, 
lower cost. It's a win-win situation, but the insurance companies have got to get on board to allow us to use these more extensive measures to allow us to make our patients comfortable. Real simple. If, if we can have a dialogue, and that's been a challenge, and one of the things I talk about in my book, Healthcare from the Trenches, is that the, the longest chapter, of course, is the one on insurance. And even though we have the same goals, we really do, taking care of the patient, doing it, and, and in the end, making money, right? I mean, you know, you, you and I both deserve to make a good living. I have no problem with the insurance company making money. I'm I am a capitalist, but there has to be dialogue, right? And and when you can present that, what you just said with the work that Gate Science is doing, or you know, I've been using Xperel, right, for many years from from Casera. Uh, uh, it's you know they don't want to pay for that. They don't understand. So they need they need to get they need to get with us and and follow or at least understand the problem. To, so that they can save money as well. Yeah, I'd be happy to send the insurance companies videos where I've done ACL reconstructions with meniscal repair. We've used Xrel as a long-acting local anesthetic, both as a block and 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 locally. And patients who took just Tylenol after surgery, they they need to explain to me why they don't want to spend the money for patients just taking Tylenol after surgery after major ACL reconstruction with great quad control accelerated rehab and none of the dangers which we know are so severe of narcotic issues right so the opioid crisis so look uh i've had i'm six seven weeks friday after my left i had uh, my right one done uh my rotator cuff i had xprl on both sides so i'm i'm a walking billboard and yet it's 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 a challenge so i'm going to give you my three and you know it's funny how closely aligned they are so the first one it was in line with yours um, I believe that we should have oversight, not authorization, right? I think that authorization, even the term is kind of insulting to physicians. I mean, you're going to authorize me to do something that we were trained for, you know, for 10, 12, 14 years, education and, and, and training. So we, but we need oversight because there are some bad apples. There are, you know, people that maybe need, need to be, we need to look at, right? Um, the second one is in line with our, our both of our, our urgent care concepts of right clinician at the right time. That saves a lot of money. When you don't see the right clinician, and it could be a PA, it could be a nurse practitioner, as long as they're expert in that area, and they've got the backing of somebody like us when it's a little bit more complex. And if they see that patient at the right time, that is the money saver. I started ortho now because as a hand surgeon, and you understand this, I'm, I'm at the end of the food chain. But I shouldn't be the fourth person to see a patient. I think I should be maybe the second, right? And that will save money. That will save money. Um, and the last one is what we're doing. Like right? it's patient education. We need more patient education about why there are rising healthcare costs and what we can do to really change it. And between the two of us, we have six concrete measures that if we could have discussions with both government and and big insurance companies, we really can can turn it around together. Look, I think those are fabulous goals. I applaud all of your efforts and you've really been a leader in this area. And, and I think that what we need to do is not look at the insurance companies and the carriers as an adversary, but they right. should be a more willing partner where we can have goals that can be the same. Uh, no one wants the cost of healthcare to go skyrocketing. Uh, we do want patients to get good care, but there has to be a similar goal so that we get on the same page. And I think that if we can talk as colleagues, 
and find that 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 good solution, then everybody wins. It's a win-win situation. And that should be our goal in terms of taking care of patients. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the entire ecosystem needs to work together. And when we're in Chicago, I want to speak, we have the same partner for our uh, outpatient surgery center. And, you know, there can be challenges there too, right? Because they're not necessarily clinicians. So uh, I've had some challenges of late. So I want to pick your brain on that because it's all about, we can, we can fix these things. It's, it's really all about dialogue and, and, and coming and compromising. Uh, and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that word. We both, both sides need to compromise. So, uh, so it can go a long way in a lot of areas. In a lot of areas. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Dr. Redler. Uh, it's a great, great episode. We, uh, a lot of transition to outpatient care will save money, uh, save time, uh, lower, lower complications. And, uh, I, I hope that, you know, those of you watching this will share this because we need to get these ideas out there. And we, we welcome the, the critique as well. Let, let's get some, some, some dialogue going. And until two weeks from now, see you then from the trenches.